HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Catskill Provisions. Located in a small corner of northwest Catskill Mountains, they specialize in creating raw, all-natural, handmade food products. For more information, visit CatskillProvisions.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. So you don't charm the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you some in the end. Welcome back to The Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. In the studio today, we have the lovely... Bridget Fertile of the Noble Experiment in New York City, a newer distillery um, that just released uh, its first product, the Oni's Rum. Yes, yeah. So uh, basically started introducing it late in last year and uh, been full steam ahead since January 1st. So very exciting. Awesome. You know, um, it's really cool. Like, I know that there are... There has been like uh, kind of a, a checkered past with like distilleries in in New York, and it's so cool to see not only that you know distillation is a, a market. There's a, actually a viable market for it in New York City, but also that I think for the most part, like all the the products that have been coming out over the past like few years, all the distilleries in New York City, have, they're all really cool. They're really <laughs> cool products. So it's like. Yay for us, New York. Yeah, no, it's really <laughs> exciting. And it's really awesome that there's consumers and people who purchase the product that um, are able to keep us alive. So, yeah, I, mean, I think obviously like we, uh, you know, no one moves to the city to just chill out. Everyone comes here to like, you know, work your ass off and like, you know, make a, a place for yourself, a name for yourself. And I, you know, I think that, you know, a lot of this comes from, like you said, having a product that people really appreciate and they're enthusiastic about it comes from just that kind of like work hard play hard mentality that we have here and you know cutting a lot of the bullshit out of like <laughs> our daily lives and so it's like it's cool you know like with food and with drinks that uh you know like you said people people have, appreciate the hustle yeah. totally and they appreciate hard work and they can it's cool that they can connect to a story where there's something real and tangible behind a product that they're consuming um how Absolutely. it's made and where it's made and who it's made by. So, Well, speaking of that story, why don't you uh, give us a little background mm-hmm. on how this all came about? So uh, I actually um, 
have lived in the city my whole life. Uh, for, my family's been here for generations, and I happened to go to business school and work on Wall Street after business school. And um, I <clears throat> had joined a consumer staples team at a hedge fund and um, was designated shortly thereafter as the global alcoholic beverage analyst. So I spent my days researching and investing in um, publicly traded beer, wine, and spirits companies. But um, after four or so years, decided I was really dissatisfied with what I was doing. And um, I was really sick of watching other people do awesome things, as you were just talking about, in craft beer and craft spirits and the whole local movement of everything in this city. Um, and I decided that my time had really run its course and I was going to pour my life savings into this, move back home with my parents, jump in with both feet and try and pull this off and, and get it off the ground. And if there was a time in my life to do this, it was now. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's interesting that, you know, that you were actually kind of connected to the, like the spirit. Well, you were definitely connected to like the spirits industry mm-hmm. through your job, I, you know, and I've heard of uh, other people who worked in different career paths that, that started up a distillery or a brewery or a winery, you know, or a, a bar or restaurant. Um, a lot of them, like never had worked in the industry or even close to it. I mm-hmm. think it's interesting that you had that like on the periphery, you know, that's yeah. Cool. Yeah. It was cool that I, you know, had some sort of understanding about, um, the business, the market, the consumer from the business side, but <laughs> going from sitting at a desk and, uh, reading reports and doing research to, you know, wearing construction boots and a, and a t-shirt and driving a forklift around a distillery are two totally different things. But, uh, it's so cool to be able to make something tangible and then watch other people enjoy it. So it's really rewarding. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, actually have a forklift license. I, oh. Jack, can I bring that in? Can I like bring that and put it in there? <laughs> I, I, I got to take that out. Was, was How did like, you get that? I was working at a graphic design place in Oklahoma city and, uh, we had, you know, giant like skids of printed goods that we had to move around and uh someone came in one day and they were like hey we're doing forklift training i'm like yes that is one of those like bucket list things i I don't know i never thought about it before this but god damn it i need a forklift license it's funny so i can have this conversation that's the whole reason why (laughs) yeah it's actually a pretty useful tool obviously especially when you're in the distillery by yourself and you have to move you know lots of heavy stuff they're fun to drive they are fun they're actually super efficient for what they do it's like Oh, someone actually who designed these actually was working in a warehouse and knows how to mo- like, mo- move around. Sick of me and my buddies having to shove skids around. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> there has to be a better way. Cool. So, um, yeah. So you jumped into it. You started uh, doing the construction. What a year and a half? Ago? Yeah. So I jumped out of my job about Christmas of 2011. Um, left left my apartment, moved moved home, and signed the lease around the same time. And we were under construction for most of last year. So the plans got approved in about March of last year. And we started construction in April, finished up at the end of the summer, and spent the fall and l- into the beginning of the winter, I guess, working the kinks out of the process and building some inventory. And now it's time to hit the streets. I like how... how- calm and like nonchalant you are about like talking about the kinks because there's so much that goes into opening a distillery or brewery there's so much hassle and red tape and like yeah. dob doh sla like all these different departments just basically almost telling you, you can't do it every step of the way yeah it's uh 
it's very frustrating. I um, Patience is not my strong suit. And um, it was something that was so out of my control. And it was just waiting. And um, there's a lot of costs associating with waiting. Obviously, you're paying rent on a space and everything else. Um, the red tape and the city and, and, and the state and the Fed is just, it's, there, there are no words. And then I always joke that um, one of the most naive things um, that I have basically miscalculated in um, thinking about opening a distillery was um, once the equipment is installed and in place and approved that it's just going to work. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's so silly in retrospect, obviously, not to think of that, but um, acquired some skills on those first few weeks, 20-hour days by myself in the distillery, priming pumps and troubleshooting the boiler. And so uh, getting a lot of skills that I never thought I would have, but it, their learning curve is, is flattening, which is good. Yeah, you start learning about like, oh, I, did I ever think I was going to need a torque wrench to make <laughs> rum? <laughs> exactly, <You know? laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, it's always like the troubleshooting. I guess it's true of anything, but especially with like a distillery. Um, you know, even with the seasonal changes of like your products that you're using to distill, like your sugar cane for mm-hmm. this instance you know like your molasses and your sugarcane it's not always going to be the same so you know there's constantly like tweaking and evolving like Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. the different yearly like uh raw products yeah yeah and it's it's a constant you know striving to improve and and make the product better and make your technique better and keep learning so um but that that makes it makes it a challenge and that's something that excites me so yeah so uh, let's talk about the rum. Okay, so the the first product that's coming out is uh, yeah. Oni's rum. Yep, yep. Uh, so really, like into rum uh, personally, but into a lot of spirits. Was that something like was were you like a big rum drinker before? Um, I can't say that I was necessarily a huge rum drinker. I'm a huge. I've had a passion and hobby for different types of spirits and beers and wine. Um, I think. I have a, in terms of the whole liquor category, I guess I'm partial to rum in a lot of ways. Um, now I, you know, I drink rum for the most part. Uh, that's it. Um, really think it's a gr- versatile spirit and um, enthralled with the history of it in this country. And uh, the fact that that was the first spirit we distilled and most people don't know that. Exactly. That's true. <laughs> and, um, and, um, the goal is to bring back something to the Northeast and um, enthralled with the history of distilling and brewing in this country since they're just starting to come back after uh, so many years and due to legislative changes and a consumer that's driving the demand for this. Um, and I think that rum is an interesting way to play that. It's a tough category in a lot of respects. I'm coming to learn because there's not a lot, ge- lot of education around what rum is. And the consumer, I think, is confused by that. Yeah. Um, but I'm hoping to take my little part in playing um, a role in educating the consumer on that. Totally. And, you know, to me, rum is a more so than any other spirit category. The spectrum is so wide. I mean, like, you know, you can't just like, especially for me as a bartender, when I look at you know, old cocktail books and it says, you know, use rum. It's like, wait a minute, you can't just say use rum, but it'll say like Trinidad rum or like rum from St. Croix or Martinique rum, you know, and there's, they vary so much yeah, and yeah. not just like based on like the fact that it's sugarcane or molasses, but like the different types of stills, the different know, stills, aging. yeah, the climates, the, exactly what they age in, where they age, the climates, the feedstock. And because I think that's really happens because rum is 
in my opinion, or probably in fact, the most loosely defined spirit that yeah. that exists. It's really like the only definition around it is that it has to come from some form of the sugarcane plant. So right. It's not like scotch all this or yeah. or bourbon even, you know, there's no like, legis- like there's no like yeah. standardized rules yeah. for it, you don't which have- is cool. It's yeah. actually kind of a, like a, a, a misfit spirit in a, in a lot of ways. It like is. That. It is. Um, and, um, which is why pirates drink it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so, you know, obviously, or not obviously, but uh, Oni's is 100% molasses-based uh, rum, and you're pretty much using molasses if, or brown sugar, I guess, for a sugar wash moonshine type of product uh, if you're not close to a sugarcane farm um, because sugarcane juice ferments on its own in three days, so you can't really ship it or store it um, or do anything like that. So um, I actually use a really high sugar content rum, which is... Um, not so traditional for most mm, widely available molasses-based rums because the most widely available type of molasses is a blackstrap molasses. It's a low sugar content, high in other minerals and um, phosphorus, nitrogen, iron, calcium. So actually the taste of the rum is a little bit similar to an agricole rum because the molasses is almost similar to a juice. So um, it's not so sweet. It's really sweet on the nose, but on the palate, it's pretty dry, kind of reedy and a little funky. Um, intended, intended to be something totally unique um, uh, and kind of a hybrid between the two generic styles. Yeah. Um, well, we're talking about this, but we're not drinking. <laughs> um. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for bringing this on. <laughs> no. Um, oh, yeah. Totally on the nose. It's got like more of like an earthier, like grassier kind of, mm-hmm. like you said, like agricole. Yeah. And it's also something else that differentiates. It's uh, fermented in cold tanks for five days. And so get a lot of esters from that on the flavor profile, um, as opposed to something that a lot of rums are, you know, fermented for 42 to, or sorry, 48 to 72 hours. So able to keep the yeast happy for five days and then distilled at a high ABV 85 to 95% before blended down. So a lot of those impurities are left out um, for an unaged uh, spirit. It leaves it pretty smooth. Yeah. What Can we go back to, uh, you're talking about like sugarcane fermenting on its own after three days. I, this is something I didn't really, I, I've never really had the chance to like clear this up, like just for myself mm-hmm. even. But um, like, so, for instance, how do like sugarcane syrups, like you know, like for like the alternative sweeteners for you know, like I, I know like JM does one. Uh huh. Do they are they stabilizing that with rum? Yeah, I don't. I can't be quoted on actually right. the technique was, yeah. on, on, on how they make that. I would be guess. I would guess they're doing something to the juice and in terms of like extracting the sugars out of it first. Something probably similar to sugar refining, which is what molasses where molasses comes from molasses is a byproduct of sugar refining so in the case of our molasses it's somewhere in between the final product of um a blackstrap because there's a lot of sugar still left in there so i would assume either processing the sugar after it's been extracted or cutting it off somewhere in between and blackstrap like for for the listeners because i know for me like i like using blackstrap you know like in, in certain like there are tiki cocktails, yeah, use yeah. It. like the corn and oil is a uh, classic yeah. like blackstrap uh, rum. But blackstrap typically is more on like the drier, like earthier side, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot more like congener kind of like funk. Like, yeah, yeah. It. It's it. It obviously again varies as we were talking about mm-hmm. by where it's made and how it's made, and if they add sugar at the end of it, because obviously a lot of 
big, not necessarily big, big and small um, distilleries add caramel coloring or sugar or something else at the end that alternates the total flavor profile of the spirit. So, um, again, and also, you know, depending on where your molasses is being sourced from, I'm sure as well in terms of the climate and the type of cane growing in that region of the world. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting product. It's it, like going back to what we were saying before about how like just rum varies so much from like island to island, mm-hmm. you know, country to country. It's like even I always like to do this uh, with uh, my bartenders. Like, and sometimes when I'm doing trainings, um, I'll take like a bunch of different types of sweeteners. You know, like mm-hmm. honey, different types of sugars, kudamito, like black sugars, black strap molasses. Um, even you know maple different types of maple syrup yeah you know and just like line them up and you know when you start putting that together agave nectars you know there's so many like once you put them all like out in front of you you realize like oh wow i actually have like 20 different options for a sweetener yeah for a cocktail and they're all so freaking different yeah it's yeah crazy. it's crazy it's, it's can, amazing you basically distill any of them and it's yeah. turns into rum <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so um you know doing something i mean we're using all domestic molasses but um and the the rum that was made back in the day in the colonies in the northeast was uh using molasses shipped up from the caribbean but um <clears throat> trying to create more of a domestic feel to um everything we distill at the uh place in, in a few blocks away in bushwick so in beautiful bushwick <laughs> <laughs> let's take a quick break and uh we'll get back and talk more about rum with bridget from oni's room <laughs> you're listening to jones by jade and me jack insley on heritageradionetwork.org Catskill Provisions has Valentine's Day literally in the bag with their Seal the Deal gift bag. Start with chocolate honey truffles and then move on to breakfast in bed with their traceable organic pancake mix and New York State maple syrup. Sure to satisfy any ardent locavore, check out the Catskill Provisions Seal the Deal package at www.catskillprovisions.com. And we are back. Yeah. You are. (laughs) Nice, Nice commercial, Jack. Do you have a Valentine's Day date? I yeah, I'm gonna sit around with a bottle of Oni's rum and <laughs> yeah, you know, hang out. Nice. 
So we're back. We're talking with Bridget from Oni's Rum and the Noble Experiment, new distillery in New York City. Um, we've just been sitting around talking about the uh, the challenges of opening up a new distillery and putting out uh, some products after you know having everybody else do it. And you yeah. wanted to you want to start doing it on your own, and that's awesome. That's totally like no pun intended. The spirit. Of um, awesome. Pun intended. Um, I was waiting for Jack to throw out some sound effect there, <laughs> but he did do it. Um, so. Uh, Okay, we talked a little bit before, like, the break about how rum was essentially the original spirit that was uh, being made in the United mm-hmm. States. Yeah. And how that's kind of a, a not-so-well-known fact. No, it's not. People seem, I think, whiskey, you know, is kind of known as America's spirit for a variety of reasons, but one of the first distilleries, if not the first distillery on record, was um, pre- on present-day Staten Island, 1664, I believe the record was from... Uh, rum distillery um, and the rum was shipped up from the Caribbean or sorry excuse me the molasses was shipped up from the Caribbean distilled here um, used here for trade and profit and fun and also you know um, used to exchange for slaves in Africa that were then brought to the sugar plantations in the Caribbean to make sugar and therefore molasses slaves were really the people who founded rum in the 1620s I believe in Barbados they realized that the stuff they were throwing away after sugar refining could actually be distilled and made into booze. And, um, you know, it was, which is basically the way that all boozes come about. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was not slavery, but (laughs) (laughs) trying to to use everything that we can to, uh, and preserve it. Yeah. And so it was a huge part of life here. And, uh, one of the contributors to the American revolution, I mean, the sugar act, I believe of 1764 was when the British imposed a tax on molasses, making it unprofitable, um, to distill and use in trade. And, uh, that's why people say the Boston tea party was really about molasses instead of tea. And uh, rum stayed popular on the low throughout the American Revolution and after it. But as people started growing, um, excuse me, moving west, growing grains and having no way to ship the grains and can only, you know, sell them to their neighbors, basically, um, they figured out that they could distill those grains and make whiskey and make a lot more money off of that than the grains they could sell to their neighbors. And, you know, that's how America's spirit has kind of been uh, thought of as whiskey, not rum. Well, even like you mentioned before the break as well, you taught you said sugar wash moonshine, yeah, which is essentially a rum, yeah, you know, yeah. So that's uh, also kind of like predating like we think about it. typically, I you know people think about moonshine as being like limited to like a grain distillate like a mm-hmm. whiskey, mm-hmm. but actually, you know. It's anything you're making illegally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that you can ferment and distill. Yeah. But um yeah, so like even like the earlier moonshine was rum. Yeah. Molasses based. Yeah. Um and then uh you know, I, I was actually I was down in Belmar, New Jersey, uh went deep sea fishing oh, uh, cool. with Dean Ween from the <laughs> band Ween, which was awesome. I gotta That's I gotta awesome. show you pictures later. But um we were in uh, the package store, because you call it package stores there. Um, <laughs> it's a liquor store. But, uh, you know, speaking of the the oldest distillate, Laird's, it mm-hmm, makes Applejack, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, we think of that they are the oldest distillery in the United States. They actually make a rum. It's terrible. Sorry, Lisa, but it's terrible. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's kind of like, it's something you probably can only find in New Jersey. But mm-hmm. when I saw that in the liquor store, it made me 
think about that as well. You know, like here it is, the oldest distillery in the United States, and then they have a rum. Yeah. Not, not very well distributed rum. Yeah. But, you know, it, it kind of, all of that together makes sense. Yeah. You know, the oldest distillery, oldest spirit in the United States. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully that, you know, people find that, you know, I'm sure they find it interesting, obviously. Um, but as we were talking about earlier, the challenges of, of um, educating the consumer on rum. And I don't think people associate rum with the u.s you know they they associate it with the islands for good reason and central and south america and um juice juice like drinks and frozen drinks with right. da- you know with um umbrellas in them and i've been you know talking to people and serving at a lot of the small events that i've been doing daiquiris and and yeah, and people don't know what a daiquiri is people don't know what a classic daiquiri it's is true. and it's, it's mind-blowing to me that you know i mean there's obviously a time and a place for a frozen daiquiri on the beach somewhere um but the yeah, way that Robbie's came about yeah 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 you know the way that came about was from a classic daiquiri that people were drinking and um the versatility of a classic daiquiri for what sweetener to use, to add bitters, to sure. use different juices if you want aside from a lot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that you know, you could build a whole, in my opinion, a whole cocktail menu off of just just the daiquiri. Just the daiquiri. It's true, um, and people love them, and they don't know about them, and so I mean, most most bartenders, most like spirits writers, mixologists, they we all agree that you know the daiquiri is kind of like the most perfect cocktail yeah it's simplicity it's like clean crisp like refreshing it's 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 the greatest cocktail yeah and it's easy also for people from for me to tell people who want to get their hands dirty at home with something to make and it's you know not a rum and coke or something it's a gateway drink yeah yeah and it's it's, (laughs) yeah yeah totally and it's and it's easy to find the ingredients and it's easy to replicate so um, just another kind of like historic classic cocktail that pe- that has changed in perception over time. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like one of those things where like anytime someone brings a rum into one of my bars to show me a new product, yeah. that's the first thing. And I know that a lot of people are the same way. It's like the first drink that I make is a daiquiri. Yeah, yeah. Try out the rum. Yeah, no. And then, and I love when people do that because my rum makes a really good daiquiri. But. <laughs> I, I can tell. Um, it's cool too. Like nowadays, um, I always say too that it's like a really exciting time to be in this industry, and and over like the past, I've I've been doing this for like seven or eight years now, so not very long compared mm-hmm. to a lot of people, but just seeing the progression of like what was around when I first started doing it to now, mm-hmm. it's crazy, and uh, even the way that people drink. I remember the first time I was bartending and. A couple of really cute girls came into the bar and ordered scotch, like neat, and I was like, <laughs> I almost lost my mind. It was the hottest thing ever. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah, but uh, so it's there's also this progression where a lot of people are drinking rum, kind of going back to like you know sipping on rum or having on the rocks, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I think is really cool too. Yeah, and it's not limited to anything that's like necessarily aged wood. I know a lot of people are drinking like an unaged like white rum too. Yeah. I drink it on the rocks for sure or neat, but, um, and in cocktails, I'm, I'm hoping that other people do that too. Uh, I don't know if that's naive or hopeful and them looking at a white rum and, uh, wanting to drink it not mixed, but people do taste it and they're surprised in the taste and they say, Hey, I think I could, I could, this, this is good enough to drink on its own. So, and to that, to the point of people changing their drinking patterns, I had two guys in the distillery, you know, 
late 20 somethings that were, you know, in finance or some other professional industry in the city. And they were just talking about how I never want to go to a bar again and get like a vodka soda or rum and Coke or like a Bud Light. I want to, you know, when I drink, I want to be drinking something good and I want to be drinking a nice cocktail or a good beer. I can't go back to that anymore. I'm not going to go to a restaurant and just order a plate full of like white wonder bread. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, no. <laughs> it's something that's going to make me feel like I'm doing something. Yeah, you know? no. It's just awesome to watch that happen and yeah. how once you go to a certain level of enjoying spirits or beer or food or whatever you are, it's it's hard to get the consumer to go back to what they what once was. So, yeah. um, Well, it's also, you know, like technically – we don't need to drink alcohol you know we need to eat food to survive we don't need to drink alcohol to survive so if you're doing it yeah you might as well be enjoying exactly as much as you can like yeah. or, like you know, the best things you can have is the, the right amount obviously yeah be responsible yeah but uh yeah and pairing that up with food with friends yeah with occasions it's totally like that's the way to be that change is 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 great for you know, people like me and people in the industry, and you were mentioning how much has changed over seven or eight years. Um, it, that mentality of the consumer, which mm-hmm. buys the product, you know, is is keeping us all going and um, and allowing for people to want to drink better and eat better and and uh, and for the proliferation of this industry. So it's pretty cool. Awesome. <laughs> What's the website? Uh, TNENYC.com. As in the Noble Experiment, New York City. Yes, dot com. And uh, we also have um, Oni's, O W N E Y S dot com, uh, which is a video about how we make this stuff. So. Oh, cool. I can't yeah. wait to check that out. Yeah. I've been on the website, but I haven't seen, I haven't seen the video. Um, I think it's time for us to go in and have Mike make us a couple of daiquiris. What do you <laughs> that think? sounds great to me. All right. Thank you so much, Bridget, for coming on the show no, today. thanks for having check me. Check out Oni's Rum, and we will see you next week on Speakeasy. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.